Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I'm talking to Rebecca Ricketts. Rebecca is head of the English department at Safa British School in Dubai. And in addition to that, she hosts the Drive Home Show for Teachers Talk Radio every Monday. We discuss the best book Rebecca's ever taught, read or learnt in school and why. A text or unit that she's been keen to introduce to the classroom but isn't quite ready to do so yet. An introduction to her career to date and why she took the opportunity to host a show on Teachers Talk Radio. Rebecca's opinion on how best to give feedback during formative or summative assessment. The most challenging part of being a head of department in her experience. The best advice she's ever been given or come across in terms of teaching. And finally, resources that she'd recommend for teachers seeking to improve. Thanks again to Rebecca for giving up part of her weekend to offer lots of fantastic ideas and advice for people working or looking to work abroad. If you'd like to be kept abreast of chats like this, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast or simply follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Uh, okay, Rebecca, uh, we'll start with a very easy one. Um, what's the best book you've ever taught, uh, read, or um, learnt yourself in school and why? Um, so I love teaching Shakespeare, first of all. I never, and I know it's the most boring, obvious answer, but I never get tired of it. I just think thematically, linguistically, I just... I just think he's so clever and I'm teaching Romeo and Juliet at the moment to year eight and they're a little bit shocked by how passionate I am really this you know they're struggling a lot with the language language I teach a lot of second language learners and you know I'm doing that bit when Romeo and Juliet meet for the first time and I'm like but it's a sonnet they're talking together in a sonnet I just I was like the man is a genius and they're like all mm. oh, right cool miss <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a one-sided thing at the moment, but I, yeah. So I love teaching Shakespeare. Um, but the best book I learned was The Colour Purple when I was studying mm. A-level literature. Um, I've always loved reading. I'm a huge reader. I'm a massive advocate of reading, but it was just so powerful for me learning about that book and the relationships, the act of forgiveness, redemption, and when I was asked to teach A-level and I knew I was going to be teaching The Colour Purple, I felt a bit of pressure because I, I felt like I needed to do it justice. I mm. needed to teach it as well as I'd been taught it. And I wanted the students to have the same kind of emotional impact on them as it had had on me. So that was quite nice, actually, to go full circle. There aren't many things that I was taught at school that I've taught myself. So the fact that it was one of the best books I'd ever actually studied was, yeah, it felt like a big responsibility. But I, I think that about literature anyway. I think that about teaching, you know, like I teach because I love my subject and I feel that that's a huge responsibility for a teacher because you want the students, they're not all going to love it, but you want them to enjoy it and you want them to take something away from it that they've enjoyed and that they've loved. So so yeah I would say that's probably the best one I've learned and then got to teach what um if you had to again quite a difficult question if you had to choose one Shakespeare play um 
to teach? I suppose it depends on the year level, I guess, or the the key stage. But what's your favourite one to teach out of all of them? Can I pick two? Yes. <laughs> um, key stage three, Midsummer Night's Dream, because it's fun ah, yeah, yeah. and it's magical, and they love the whole love triangle situation. They love the farce of it, and I think yeah. because it is quite silly in places, they kind of takes the fear away from Shakespeare. They're not thinking it's really highbrow and you can have a lot of fun with it. So Midsummer Night's Dream and Romeo and Juliet, I just, I never tire of it. I never get tired of the mm. characters. I never get tired of that moment at the end. I never, I just, I just love it so much. I love that it's got conflict. I love that it's got passion. I just, yeah. And so yeah, teaching that, watching that, that's my favourite, 100%. We had um, like a CPD recently um, and one of the questions that came up um, that stumped everyone within this kind of like Zoom thing we were doing within our kind of school foundation with other English teachers was, does anyone actually ever teach a text which is not about the plight of a human being or, you know, if, if you are teaching sort of um, minority voices and stuff, does anyone actually teach a text which is you know, a positive experience of one of the, and we were really, we found it hard to find like a piece of literature or a text that is just enjoyable and fun and like about the love of life. And the only thing we could, I, I, I talked, I brought that kind of conversation back to my staff room and um, like our staff room in, in the school I work at. And the one that it came, it, the, 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 the writer that it kept coming back to was Shakespeare I think like it's just how many comedies. I think I've, I've probably only taught like two or three of the comedies, but every time it's such a good laugh. It's such good fun when you either watch it or and or act it out and or discuss it. It's it, it's kind of just it's still full of life. It's still full of energy and comedy and yeah, like you say, he must be a genius if it's you know four hundred years old and still working. But you're right, though. I saw something similar on Twitter and there was, you know, it was that kind of conversation of do we teach anything where there is not some sort of issue or drama? Yeah. And even the kids say it sometimes. I'm like, okay, so yeah. this text. I'm like, all right, cheers, miss. You know, real happy in here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything which, um, with regard to, obviously, you know, working in the international um teaching sphere for lack of a better word you do get maybe more opportunities to try new things um within the curriculum and stuff so is there any unit or text or or anything that you've um been keen to introduce to the classroom but you're not quite ready to do so yet or you just haven't got around to it for whatever reason that's a really 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 huge question um <laughs> so when I moved to Dubai three years ago, starting my fourth year now, I was working in a purely Emirati girls' school. So I had quite a lot of restrictions on the curriculum because we had to be so culturally appropriate. So that was an interesting challenge because my usual go-tos that I would like to teach couldn't really do anymore. And it meant a change of exam board and it meant really, really selecting texts that were going to be um, appropriate but also challenging enough, you know, to prepare them for, for GCSE. And now I've moved schools. We've only got a year seven to nine at the moment. And I'm at this point mm. where we're looking at building the curriculum and getting ready for GCSE. And I'm a little bit like a kid in a candy shop, really, because I'm like, I can't do anything. And I, and I feel because I've had this three-year experience where I've had to really concentrate on what I'm going to teach and make sure that it's culturally appropriate here because it's still in Dubai, 
but it's an international school. I don't know, my mum's a little bit prudish and I'm like, can I really teach knots and crosses? Can I really teach <laughs> animal farm? I'm like, so there's stuff coming back and there's stuff that I've never taught before that I'm able to do. So at the moment, I'm just a little bit like, where do I go? And it's quite nice because I'm looking at the curriculum that we've had in place and I'm thinking, right, I don't know if this is actually going to work here and we can start changing it. And then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to change it to? Um, and I don't know. I think the question about it being something that I'm maybe nervous about, I find that really difficult because I'm, I'm like, do I want to go for something safe, something easy, something I've done before, mm-hmm. or do I want to, you know, push it out there? And, and, I, and I think you've got to go down that road. Um, I don't know what that's going to be yet. I think the thing that does make me the most nervous about teaching and the thing that I really have to upskill myself up is with language I'm a literature specialist you know my degrees in English literature and theatre studies so whenever it's coming on to teaching something about language and linguistics I would say that's probably the biggest thing out of my comfort zone and the one thing that I really have to concentrate quite a lot on I'm teaching myself before I'm teaching the students so I kind of try and embed it discreetly (laughs) rather than it being especially well GCSE languages are I'm talking more A-level style here, but yeah. yeah, GCSE language, again, I try and teach it through literature as much as possible just because it's my own personal pleasure. I don't know if that answers the question very well. Yeah, but. no, I think so. I think it does. Um, the Coming back to what you said about like the first school that you worked in, um, is it because we're facing our own kind of situation with regards to restrictions in Hong Kong, but is it like how far does it ex- extend in the... Um, the Emirates or the like the Middle East or um in terms of what are you not allowed to sort of what kind of topics are off the off the table is it as basic as anything which is that could be considered somewhat like sexual in nature or what kind of things kind of uh raise like a, a red flag we used to have meetings with the parents at the school to talk about books and we would pre-read them and we would flag where there were potential issues um when I first started at that school um we taught stone cold to year nine Mm. and any references to alcohol we used to have to tip x out um any swear words we would have to tip x out um it was really really yeah anything sexual anything to do with relationships you know picking books for the library was really challenging and we, we did have to proofread every single one and we would have to sit there and department meetings at the start of the year when we used to get new books and it was literally like right page 47 line four and you <laughs> you know mm. you sat there tipexing out all sorts of words and language um but then you know you get to GCSE with them and it's like right now we're going to teach you of mice and men and you know this is what men say to women in this book and this is what men say to people of color in this book and you know and it's difficult because we know we know the girls are going home they're watching Netflix they're teaching me stuff and I'm thinking please don't say it's nice to get really uncomfortable because they'd ask me questions and I think I can't answer this question because Mm. I can't, you put in, and I, I used to say to the older girls, they knew what they were doing. I was like, you know what you're doing. You're putting me in a really uncomfortable position now. You need to stop. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then I also taught 1984. So that was really interesting as well. And obviously there's that quite, well, there's a couple of scenes in there with Winston. And 
and I was like, read it for homework and we'll just skim <laughs> past it. And I just made mm. sure that we never really talked about it, to be honest. And But then I had students and I was reading the blurbs of some of the books that they were bringing to school. And I was like, I was having to say, please don't bring that into school because I can't be complicit in the fact that that's what you're reading. But then I'm stopping kids from reading and that goes against mm. everything that I'm, I kind of believe in. So it was a really big challenge to make sure that things were appropriate. And for example, at A-level, I was teaching um, Dracula and there's a lot with Bram Stoker and there's a lot of, I mean, the whole homoerotic side of Dracula, I just didn't mention it. And then my friend, who was also my second in department, she was teaching the other side of the course and she's teaching Oscar Wilde. And I was teaching Oscar Wilde. I mean, I did the painting of Dorian Gray and we're alluding to this friendship and we're alluding to this great relationship and this obsession that Basil has with Ernest. And, mm. and I'm like, because they're such good friends and Basil wants to be his friend. And the girls are looking at me and I'm looking at them and we all know what I'm talking about, but it's just not something that you can discuss here and you've got to be respectful. So we would describe it as lifestyle choices, you know, yeah. so many euphemisms for things to do with relationships and sexuality, even though we all really knew what was going on. And I think it's made me a better teacher because it's, you know, it's certainly created boundaries in the classroom that I've never experienced before um, and getting my way around certain things and certain topics. But I also mm. find it quite challenging because with literature, it does throw up so many themes and so many ideas and they've got to be addressed. And like I say, the girls go home, they put the TV on, they, they know probably more than I do. So, you know, it's, it is finding that balance and that middle ground that was quite tricky and just making sure that everything that we said was not going to upset anybody or be offensive or was making sure but I mean in general the UAE gets a bad rep but it is it's fairly you know it is a tolerant place it's a it's it's a place that's very very welcoming to expats you know they're aware of the expat community but you know you just have to be respectful that you don't live in the UK and you get the benefits of not living in the UK so you res you respect everything else yeah I like I like that idea of kind of it makes you a better teacher in the sense that you are forced to jump through a few kind of administrative or cultural hoops and you, you end up having to teach things which yeah like you you might not necessarily have would have beforehand so um but it does make for like a fascinating I don't know consideration of yeah that when two cultures meet and what happens as well, a result had, of like yeah we had a really interesting meeting once with one of the parents and she was like I actually find this quite patronizing you know yeah. We're all women. Because we used to, we wouldn't wear a bias or anything, but we would have to be very, very respectfully dressed. Um, and there was even a question about, like, showing your arm mm. in a shirt. And she was like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, why, why we're talking about cancelling out pork in a book. She was like, we know people eat pork. It's just our choice not to. Like, our girls need to know this stuff, that it's happening in the world. So... What, oh. I, what I never really like is this idea that it's it's not a progressive place. I feel very, very passionate. Mm. You know, there are obviously in every culture and every society, there are really conservative people. And that's what we kind of had to be mindful of. But there were a lot of parents that were like, for goodness sake, like, because yeah. it was an all-female environment. And she was like, well, 
why why do you think we're going to be offended if we see somebody's shoulder <laughs> mm. and um you know and it, it was good to have those kind of conversations and challenge those perceptions maybe a little bit as well mm. yeah certainly i've never i've never traveled through the middle east that's definitely one kind of stereotype that i um i guess have of that 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 sort of region the um the, the the strictness of the rules and stuff but for anyone who's been kind of i'm sure yeah the lived experience is very different um with um you've obviously mentioned like you're in dubai like a few times there like how in terms of your career where did you start as as a teacher and how did you find your way out to um dubai and then how did you find yourself on on the airwaves on the uh, teacher talks radio journey um yeah so <laughs> I'm Yorkshire born and bred and went to uni. I went to uni in Leeds. So I was going back from Robin Hood's Bay, which is a tiny village in North Yorkshire. It was an hour and a half away from home. And I'm such a home bird. So I went to Leeds because of the course I wanted to do. And it was at the time, it was the, there was only Leeds or Bristol. And I was like, I'm not going all the way to Bristol. Mm. So Leads for uni. And then whilst I was at uni, I got a part-time job teaching drama in primary schools. Do you remember Aim Higher, that like government pushing for university? So Mm. we used to go into schools in like Bradford and Halifax, all around West Yorkshire, and go and speak to kids and do like drama workshops about going to university. Um, And I loved it. And I just had so much fun with the kids and the people that I was working with and... Because I never wanted to be a teacher. It was the most reluctant. And then I just, I knew that this is what was going to happen. And I kind of mm-hmm. went home and I was like, yeah, I've decided. And my mum was like, I knew it. I knew you were going to be a teacher. And I, you know, flirted with so many other career options and so many different things as I was growing up. And that's why I ended up just picking English and theatre as my degree, because I knew I wanted to study and I wanted to carry on further, but I just didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So... I'm not one of these people that knew that they were going to be a teacher forever. It was a very reluctant acceptance, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, so I carried on doing the teaching drama and took a year just to kind of have a bit of a year off. And then I did my PGC and then I moved back home, um, moved back to Robinhood's Bay and I got a job in Scarborough. Um, and I moved back because my nana was there and she was getting older and I just wanted to spend a bit of time and I missed home I'd done four years in Leeds and I was just ready to go back so got this job in Scarborough became head of key stage three pretty quickly and we were on a split site so there were two old school buildings so we've got key stage four and one key stage three and the other and it just felt like a little bit of a dream job to be honest to start with because there I was like year after my NQT year effectively running my own department and me and my friend Mm. job shared and I loved it because I was in charge of year six and seven transition and she did eight and then into nine and doing the key stage four so I was always oh I'm key stage three I love key stage three so much you can be so creative you can be so inventive um and then I was there for four years and I decided that I needed to move because I needed to get some more well I needed to get some A-level experience and there was a really good school in the area so I moved to school and I loved it there, absolutely loved it. I brilliant, brilliant three years. Um, teaching and learning was a huge focus and that was one of the things that really attracted me to the school. We did loads of stuff, 
going out into other classrooms, all non-threatening things. I did my first ever like whole school project looking at reading and I absolutely loved that. But we were quite a young staff and I was second in department. My head of department was the same age as me, sideways. We were all, you know, 28, 29. And I just was like, I was hungry for more, but I knew it wasn't going to come because we were all of a competition and nobody was moving. Um, And so basically, this is a really long story, but basically um, my family had got a house in Tenerife and I would literally every summer, every Easter, every October, after every holiday, bar Christmas, I'd be on a flight and I'd be out there. And I was there one summer and I was dreading going back, really dreading. Mm. And I just thought this, this needs to change. Like I'm literally living for the holidays here. So I started looking at moving to Tenerife because it was what I knew. I was only four hours from home. Like I said, I'm a total home bird. Um, my brother was the one that went further to uni. My brother lives in Colchester. He works in Colchester. He's lived in Colchester for years. And it was always me that kept gravitating towards being back in Yorkshire and being back in home. And obviously I'd only ever taught in Yorkshire, trained in Yorkshire. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I started looking at schools in Tenerife, but there's only two British curriculum schools on the island. And when I started doing a bit of digging around, I think they'd li- I think the people that work there have worked there forever. Um, mm. So I knew the job was probably going to be highly unlikely. So then I thought, okay, well, I've, I've got the feel for it then. So then I applied for jobs in mainland Spain and I got an interview at a school and they gave me the salary and I was like, I can't, I'm not even going to waste your time with the interview because that's, yeah. that's a joke. Um, and that, by that point I was done. I just knew I needed to do something. And I knew people that had come to Dubai, friends of friends, they'd come, they'd never left. And I just thought, you know what, let's try it and see, let's see what happens. Um, I do think it's a very strong reaction to turning 30, having to move halfway across <laughs> the world. Um, but I did. I started applying for jobs on the 14th of January. It was a Sunday afternoon and I should have been marking books. And I wasn't. I was on test and I was on my laptop and I was just firing off applications. By the 6th of February, I was done. And I knew I was moving to Dubai. I've never been to Dubai. I just was like, do you know what? It was a two-year contract. And I thought, if I get there and I hate it, I can come home again and mm. I thought I'll do two years I'll travel loads I'll see a bit of the world I'll save some money and I'll go home and I'm on year four not done as much traveling obviously with everything that's happened and there's no sign of me going home mm. at all. So, so yeah so I came to Dubai worked in the girls school loved it best experience incredible to say that you know I did a zoom interview I'd never even looked around the place. They don't usually, I didn't know this at the time, but they don't usually hire people internationally. They usually get teachers that are already in Dubai. So they weren't really set up for me as well. You know, there was lots of questions coming backwards and forwards because yeah. it, it was like one teacher per year that they would maybe get coming over from the UK. Um, yeah, best best teaching experience ever. I mean, it was magical. Um peacocks in the gardens like when you talk about the place people are like <laughs> is it really what everyone used to yeah. say it was and I'm like yeah it was it was it was this little oasis in the desert but and it was it was a private school it was an it was an invitation only school um it was built by the royal family in Dubai um so 
in terms of cultural experiences, I mean, I've been so spoiled because I've learned firsthand Emirati culture and heritage. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because people just see the Daily Mail headlines and they see the glitz mm -hmm. and the glamour of it. But the culture and the history and the ambition and the determination that Emirati people have is just incredible. And they're so proud of their heritage. And I just think that's wonderful because I'm not particularly proud of my, do you know what I mean? I don't feel, oh yes, mm. I'm British, but here it's, it's very, very steeped in that culture of where they're from. And, you know, the families are just wonderful. They're so welcoming. I get invited to their homes for dinner. You know, they, they want to make you feel part of the family and they're aware, you know, they know that my family are hundreds of thousands of miles away and, they're like, you've got a family here, you know, and it's absolutely wonderful mm. that we've got this kind of relationship. So basically they announced June last year, COVID year was a hell of a year, um, that the school was going to close this summer. So we were given a year. They've closed it for two years to refurbish it and because it's like 40 years old. So by the bystanders, that's ancient. <laughs> Yeah. So it needs a lot of work and they want to kind of, I suppose, rebrand it and bring it back in a different way. They're talking about it being an IB curriculum and we were British and they've got the girls' school and they've got the boys' school and so the whole the whole situation, they've, they've closed them down to refurbish um, and there's a team working on it and then it comes back to life in a couple of years. Um, so it was, I was devastated because I loved it so much and I, I wouldn't have left by choice. Um, so I found a new job here in Dubai. And again, you know, that whole just do two years, that would have been the perfect time to, to go home and pack up. But I just love it here too much. So I found a new job in this school. And I'm, I just feel really lucky again, you know, it's like mm. I found one amazing school and now I've, I've walked into another one and it's so different and, I love teaching boys again, but you forget mm. just how funny boys are in the classroom. The banter is incredible. Um, and yeah, it's it's so different. It's so modern. It's so bright. It's so airy, so massive. The fact that I even have to walk upstairs to get to my classroom, that's a bit of a revelation <laughs> because we were just on the ground floor. Um, yeah, and like I say, so head of department there now. So I became head of department at my last school. It was my first ever had a department role, did a lot with teaching and learning. And then here I am in my new school. It's a very long story. I do apologize. No. And well, as if that wasn't enough to kind of be getting on with, you're also kind of contributing to this teachers talk radio, which has got, um, you know, a lot of different people, a lot of different voices from um, uh, Twitter and, and other places across education. Um, do you think, do you think you would have pursued or even had time to do anything like that if you were working in England? Um, and how 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 did you get into it and, and what have you got out of it so far? So um, I followed Freya Odell on Twitter for years and I think she's incredible with what she mm. shares, resources and things. And I love Twitter and I will talk about Twitter quite a lot during this conversation, I'm sure. But I've always been a bit of a lurker. It's that kind of self-confidence. <laughs> what people post and you think, oh my God, 
those resources are amazing. Thanks very yeah. much. But I've never really put myself back out there. And Freya basically tweeted out and said, if you're an international teacher in a leadership position, interested in teaching and learning, I'd love to talk to you and interview for a radio show for Teachers Talk Radio. So I messaged Freya and I was like, well, that's me. That's all three. So head of department, love teaching and learning, so passionate about it in schools. And I live in Dubai. So I interviewed with Freya and I loved it. I had a really, really positive experience. And in the interview, I said, you know, I really want to start putting myself out more, out there more. And she was like, do it. We're a really supportive community. And I was like, yeah, mm. I might start blogging. I don't know. And then anyway, it just came up opportunity with Teachers Talk Radio. They had spaces to fill. And I thought, let's, let's just do it. So mm. it was definitely a 10% braver moment. And my first show, I got my friends to come on with me and we talked about well-being and I wanted to kind of keep it light in the holidays. You know, I didn't want to go too into like pedagogy and stuff, but mm. just, I love it. It's so much fun, isn't it? Getting to talk to different people from all over and different experiences. So I've had a real mix of guests, people that I've reached out to on Twitter, friends who've got really cool stories to tell. And I just, it's one of those things that, yes, it's related to work, but it's totally just something I'm doing for myself. And what's been amazing is since I've said yes to one thing, it's like all these other things start coming my way. So I'm currently writing my first piece for the International Schools Network. So I'm thrilled that I'm actually writing something. Mm. And it's amazing to turn my brain on to a different, you know, in a completely different way. So I'm writing about that and I'm focusing on reading and I've just started doing a reading group with the Open University and we're an international group. So again, you know, there's people in the group who are teaching in Malaysia, there's people in Nigeria, there's people here in Dubai, there's someone in Italy. And it's just like, wow, like from just just saying yes once and I just feel like now it's that, it, there's just loads coming. But 100%, if I worked in England, I wouldn't have time for this. And also, I think, to be fair, the fact that I'm not teaching GCSE this year, that's made a big difference because I've got key stage three, so it gives me a lot of time. I'm doing a lot of planning preparation for next year. But, yeah, so Monday nights are always just blocked out now. It's teach talk radio time, and that's it. And I love it. It's really, really good fun. I'd recommend it to anybody. How, when did you start it, Rebecca? Only in the summer. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was. Um, and it's like, I, I listened, I can't remember when I started listening to it, it was probably like four weeks ago, something like that, like a, so six weeks ago. Um, and I wondered if you'd been doing it longer because you have got quite a good, I don't know if it's natural patter or it's kind of just, maybe it's like your, your theatrical or dramatic background or whatever, but you, like you have got quite a good um, like presence on the radio and you um, you interviewed like Chris Curtis recently, which is like, no, yeah, that's no mean feat kind of getting someone um, like it's, it's really nerdy, isn't it? Like these people, if you're a teacher and you use Twitter and that like some people have like this kind of hallowed reputation, don't they? Like Daisy Christodoulou or Dylan yeah. William or whoever. And it means nothing to anyone who's not a teacher. But um, when I saw that you'd managed to speak to him, I was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, and that's, and it's such a good interview as well. Like he's, 
he's he's like really candid on it and stuff like that so that's definitely worth the listen i'll stick a link to that in in the description to this thing um but yeah it's really good for anyone who hasn't listened to it, it is it is very very good best guest ever but it was cringe because i was such a fangirl about him. yeah <laughs> i kept having to apologize because i was just so excited to talk to him like yeah I followed him for years and then as soon as he brought that book out i was straight there i mean it's in those that whole series of how to teach it's yeah. just i just love it because you know we haven't got a lot of time and it's just dip in dip out and that's what i like mm. without feeling bogged down with too much theory so um, yeah great guest Mm. Um, if we sort of like talk about like pedagogical stuff for for a little bit, you, I think it was on that show, or it might be might have been an earlier show. Um, you sort of asked for recommendations with regard to um how best to give feedback or like a peer peer feedback or peer kind of reviewing um in general. And this is something which like I've made a switch to a a school. Um, this summer and I've gone from being head of department to um, just looking after the NYP and and, and working within a, a more established system um, which was the main draw of the school um, for me and it's quite nice to be able to take a step back and not be head of department and have like a bit of mentoring or a little bit more mentoring but but my my classes have increased like almost doubled and I found myself definitely in need of refreshing how to, yeah, how best to kind of do formative feedback, um, specifically like utilizing student voice or, or like I said, peer review. So um, is there anything, What what? how do you see that kind of, um, what's best practice in your opinion or your experience with regard to formative feedback? Um, I've always been a really big advocate of peer assessment and self-reflection um it's something that I looked quite a lot at in my previous school in the UK and did because you know what it's like being English teachers all we ever do and there's just a constant stream of marking and Mm. you know the school I was working at I mean talk about spoiled my biggest class had 12 girls in it you know Mm. so and I had and when I was head of department there I had three classes so (laughs) you know my marking load was tiny and now I'm back here I've got four classes and I've got like 20 odd kids and I just look at this pile of books yeah um and I do and the kids are like oh don't you like marking I'm like no I hate it I hate it and they're like well, why are you a teacher <laughs> for me <laughs> feedback is um I'm very, very strict in terms of setting up a routine in September um because I think if you get it right early with the students Peer and self-feedback can be so, so, so successful and so valuable. Um, so I wrote everything in success criteria. I mean, I'm probably telling people, you know, this is like sucking egg stuff, but it's all about the success criteria and it's visible. And we're very, very, very focused on when we're marking something, we're only talking about. And I do sessions with the students on how to give feedback, how to respond mm feedback you know I'm very very open with them and I'm like if you when we're doing reflection time I'm like if you're not going to respond to my feedback I'm just not going to mark your book because there's no point there's no point if you're not going to go back and look at it um 
So yeah, for me, one of the biggest things is using success criteria with the students and training them early into what good feedback looks like. So the start of the year, I get them to do one piece of writing and mark it to hell, show Mm. them, give them questions. I, I quite like to use metacognitive strategies as well with feedback. I like them to really think about the process and why they've done certain things because then again, you know, they're building more on that skill and I like to create that dialogue with the students. So the first piece I mark is, yeah, marked all over, not sustainable, not something that I do all year, but it gives them then the realization of what it is that I'm looking for um, when they're doing the peer feedback. And then also I guide them. I love a visualizer, by the way, guide them under a visualizer of how to respond to the feedback. Um, so constantly and you know like all things we're teaching it's modeling isn't it and it's showing them if you show them what you're looking for you know they'll get there eventually but it's always on the success criteria so I mean at the moment for example we're doing literacy lessons and I'm using Lindsay Skinner's um, how to create brilliant sentences amazing resource by the way Um, and at the moment we're only focusing on nouns and we're using nouns for description and getting them to um, building up that idea of showing a character and not telling us about the character. Um, Mm. And so we went back and I showed them what the success criteria was for the peer assessment. And then when I was reading their books this week and I was looking at the feedback and they've written off great adjectives and like, but lesson wasn't about adjectives. (laughs) And then, you know, so there's even dialogue going on now between me and the peer reviewer, because I'm like, well, you're not actually doing what I've asked you to do. So it's, again, reinforcing those expectations, I would say. quite It's a long process, but when you get it right, it's invaluable for time saving. Yeah. Um, so that's one, peer and self. And, again, lots of questions when I am giving feedback because then it prompts them to think. And I always make sure there's a space in their book so that then they can go back and edit and redraft. Um, that's one thing that I try and use a lot. Second thing is a strong routine. Um, we do a fortnightly writing challenge in the department. It's something that I've used for a long time. And again, it was based very much on um, Chris Curtis. So this is years ago when he introduced the 200 word challenge. Um, And it was when the new GCSEs came in. So yeah, I am talking quite a few years ago now. And it was the idea of building stamina and writing stamina. Um, And so we used to do this in my old school and it's just something I've taken with me because I know that every student in the school, regardless of if they're in my class, and again, you know, when you're head of department, you've got to think of that responsibility. I know that every student in that school, every second Sunday, is doing the same writing task. And I know that Mm. every student in that school is going to receive feedback on that writing task. And so it kind of cuts down then that expectation because we're giving formative feedback based on the success criteria that we've set every two weeks. And then obviously, depending on what's happened in the lessons, if we've done done an analytical paragraph or, you know, there's something that I need to look at, I can do that ad hoc. But I make sure then with myself, it's every two weeks, they're getting some form of response from me. So that's the second thing. Um, Third thing, which I love, is feed forward. Wow, what a lot of time that saves in terms of actually giving the whole, you know, planning for something, looking at something, redrafting editing giving the feedback there and then it makes the work so much better you almost sometimes think why did we not think of feed forward before like mm-hmm. why are we feeding back and then having to correct something when you can dispel that 
misconception before it's even been pen to paper. Um, so I love that as an idea. And then whole class feedback, I've trialed, played around with that quite a lot. Um, but again, what I find is it gives the students real ownership. And it's about, you know, this is what I'm saying is happening in the lesson. Mm. Look at what I've done in your book. Can you identify which piece of feedback responds to you? That saves tons of time. And mm. again, it's about building those independent learning skills. And I think with everything that the students have gone through, I mean, I'm looking at my year sevens and it's the whole, can I turn the page? Do I? End up <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, deep breath, Rebecca. Like, yeah. And you think they were in year four the last time they had a normal school mm. experience. Year four, they were babies. So no wonder they're needy, you know? Yeah. No wonder they can't really remember what to do. And plus, on top of that, they've then got secondary expectations. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very much like set the routine with them. And also what I like them to do is when they know I am marking their book and they look at the success criteria, I'm like get a highlighter out, show me, show me where you've written that amazing metaphor, show me where your quotation is, show me where your language analysis is. And then they write it in the margin because I also want them to be proud of it. Mm. And again, it reinforces what I'm looking for. And it then gives them time to think, oh my goodness, I didn't actually put a quotation in. I should probably go back and think about that before I hand my book into Miss Ricketts. So, you know, I think there's lots of things we can do. Feedback is huge and it's so important. It's so, so important. What I love about my new school and my new head teacher is, you know, he says, lesson observations, 20%, because anybody can put on a show. It's books and data where he's looking and, you mm. know, progress over time. It's so telling. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big advocate of dialogue in books, metacognitive thinking, getting to think about why they're doing it. And then, yeah, setting up strong routines early so that they can peer and self-review as much as possible. Mm, the 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 self review is huge. I think. Well, every strategy you mentioned then is obviously like respectively very very important. The self review thing is, I think even as an adult, whether you do a master's or whether, as you were saying before, you write something for, um, you know, a, a third party kind of publication. I think it, how how often do we make mistakes or re- need to redraft or need to. Um, make something better like it's such a, an important lifelong skill um, with regards to the head of department role then you said that the first time that you've actually um, been able to do it is after you've you've come out to Dubai what what is um, since since you kind of got the job what do you think the most challenging part of being a head of department is it's been a huge learning curve for me, massive. Mm. Um, when I went to the school in Dubai and I saw the department, I saw all these individual teachers who were all doing amazing things, but there was no cohesion. And it was very frustrating being in the classroom as a classroom teacher, seeing all the potential, but this department just not quite working. Mm. Um, so when I was offered to interview for the role of head of department, it was actually the first time self-confidence thing but it was the first time when I actually thought do you know what I can do that job and I can probably bring something to that job Mm. um because I never even knew if I really wanted to be a head of department um I think for me what I've learned the biggest challenge is two things that I've really learned and taken away from and brought into my new job um the first thing is you can't change everything 
you've got mm-hmm. to be. You know, I went in there and I literally ripped everything apart and started again. And I'm just really, really lucky that I worked with a group of women who were very, very adaptive and very responsive and were looking for some structure and some routine. But it was kind of like, it was like unpicking a thread. And when I started on one thing, I realized that meant something else needed to change and something else. And I just couldn't help myself. It was just pure passion for wanting it to be amazing. And, you know, we did make a lot of changes very, very rapidly. But that's not sustainable at all. And, you know, it's also, it's not always the kindest to yourself or to your department because it's like, okay, everything. You know, we kept texts and things, but I was like, but this is how we're going, you know, and we needed to be uniform. You know, some people were not even covering skills and things, you know. They were, oh, that was the cat, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so that was the first thing. And what I've taken into my new job is just kind of sat back a little bit the first few weeks. Mm. I've taken stock. And again, my head teacher, who's my line manager, he's great because we sat down in my first line management meeting and he's like, you've got autonomy. And I'm like, that's great. But can we just talk about it? He's like, but you've got autonomy. (laughs) And again, it's that whole having that self-belief, but he gets me to break down. He gets us all to break down the heads of department, what our priorities are for the half term. And it's just so much better for me because I like to be very organized in my thinking, but at the same time, I'll be doing seven things at once because something mm. I'll, I'll remember to do. And what's been really good for me is I've had that time to kind of look and see what they've already got in place, but what needs to be built and developed. Um, and after just kind of taking stock and having a look, I was like, right, the big thing is assessment and the data. So I'm like, this is where we're going. The curriculum is fine. The lessons are great. The kids respond really well to them. We don't need to look at that right now. We need to look at assessment. So that would be my first, the biggest challenge. The second one, I'm a terrible delegator. Awful. Mm. Absolutely awful. I don't like asking people to do things. I'm a bit of a control freak. If I know what I want to be done, I know I can just do it myself. You know, people would say to me, Rebecca, just ask and we'll help. And I'm like, but by the time I've asked you and explained it, it'd be done. And I think that's a real, that's something I've got to work on as a leader is being able to delegate because I don't just want to be a head of department forever. I do want to get into SLT. I'm very, very ambitious for more, but I never want to not be in the classroom. So, you know, I'm going to have to appreciate there's a time when you do have to ask people to do things. Um, and that's definitely something that I do find quite a personal challenge is, is getting, is that delegation. Um so yeah, they would probably be my two personal, the things that I've really had to learn from and develop um, because, and this comes up in feedback all the time, they're like, you're worse, own worst critic. You ju- you know, we all judge ourselves, like say, we judge ourselves more than anybody else. And I feel really strongly that you've got to lead by example. So if I'm expecting phenomenal, then they've got to, I've got to be giving phenomenal and we don't give phenomenal every day, you know? So yeah, I think just chill out a little bit maybe you know maybe put myself under a little bit less pressure but they would be my two things definitely that's so funny yeah I think if someone asked me that question they would be the exact two things I would say too um particularly the the, the delegation thing and um yeah that's um that's really interesting I think it also kind of depends on 
you can you you probably need a little bit of luck in terms of the culture that you're walking into with regard to like how they support um managing down and that kind of thing but yeah it's maybe it's a personality thing maybe it's uh i don't know um but it's yeah it's it's funny how how often those things crop up in terms of you're so passionate you're so um driven to make it better and it's almost not wanting to let go of that particular vision um um it always makes for yeah quite a quite an interesting kind of period of yeah planning or like self-reflection and that kind of thing um with regard to sorry go on Rick. you say it's so rewarding because then you you know you say right okay we're gonna do lessons like this or we're gonna make starters like this and then people are like emailing me and they're like oh Rebecca I've, I've made this and you think okay there's buy-in you know they're enjoying it yeah now, you know just opening up a little bit like that you realize and I definitely got better at it as I got to know my department and I think going mm. in as a teacher and then being head of department I felt like I needed to prove myself you know because I was fresh off the boat from the UK so the and I was the youngest by an absolute mile so mm. I've been very mothered by them all you know I've been very looked after and then all of a sudden I'm like well I'm your line manager and that yeah. shift was crazy because I think they thought they could get away with stuff and it was that whole no you can't you've missed a deadline we're gonna have to talk about this and yeah I had such a good line manager in my last job and I used to sit with her and I'd be like right I'm gonna have to have this conversation and yeah that is so important yeah great at like helping me phrase it because and I'd be privately raging in her office and thinking about right take the emotion out of it what do you want to get out of the situation and almost like have a coaching session with her and break down the whole thing and be like okay this is what it's almost like planning a lesson this is the outcome this is what I want how am I going to get there with this person um so yeah I, I appreciated having that sounding board really because that was she came at the right time of my career really because she helped me go through quite a lot of those kind of conversations as we were readdressing the balance between being the teacher and then the head of department. Uh, so important. Like if you if you if you can have someone like that, and I'm not sure when I was head of department, I did have someone like that. Unfortunately, like I had people I could speak to, but they weren't necessarily my line manager, and it makes a big difference. So, yeah, that's that's really good that you had that experience. Um, so sort of the last few questions now, but um, the the thing um i ask everyone is like what's the best advice that you've ever been given um with regard to like teaching in general is it something you've read is it someone someone's told you personally what what would it be um it was chris curtis <laughs> i thought it might be yeah. yeah cringe um it was when we were on the radio the other week and he just kind of solidified things that people have said but you know own your mistakes you know he's mm talks very openly about making mistakes own them accept them you know you respect we respect nobody more than somebody in a leadership position who says messed up there sorry and you think be that person you know Mm. if that's what we respect out of others be that person too um and also so that would be the first thing own your mistakes all the time and even if it's like a small thing like you've misspelled a word on the whiteboard, which I do in September. I'm terrible because I'm like, I have to switch my brain back on. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I'm such a grammar, you know, so into the grammar stuff. So I'm like grammar police and getting it wrong. Um, but yeah, just own it. Um, and the other thing is take the positives. That's the best piece of advice that has been reinstated, reinstated every stage of my career. And it's so easy. And I say this all the time. It's so easy to fixate on that one kid or that one conversation or that one negative but if you just flip your mindset and then you think about the actual like 70, 80 amazing things that have happened in your working day that, you know, we're so busy and we blink and we miss them. And I just call them those like pockets of magic that happen. And it's mm. cheesy as anything, but I think we're <laughs> the luckiest, luckiest people in the world, you know, to see these kids doing incredible things and turning into amazing people and, um, I've always been an advocate for that, like, grade three, grade four kids, the one on the borderline. Like, I've always wanted – obviously, top set's great, and you can push yourself, and you can push them, and that's brilliant. But it's those kids that just need that little bit of self-belief, and I, I love it when you can you get that relationship with a kid and you can be their advocate and you can be their champion. And So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think take the positives. Enjoy them. Go home and tell people about them. You know, I'm like, what's up with my mate in the day? And I'm like, look what this kid's written in their book. It's hysterical. And, <laughs> you know, and I do, and I take a minute just to enjoy it because I do think we're so lucky in our profession. It's, it's hard work. It's exhausting. Of course it is. But I just think the benefits are just brilliant. I said, because I had to write a staff bio for my new job, and I was like, obviously I've only ever been a teacher, but I can guarantee every day walking in there that I am going to laugh like something is going Mm. to happen and I'm going to laugh and I don't know if you get that in every job so Mm. yeah I I don't think you do I think I literally I had a conversation with my head of department yesterday and I said that's surely the best part of the job where if you are having a bit of a rubbish day it only takes one class to kind of get you out of that 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 funk, so to speak, to um and and before you know it, you're walking out of the room and you're like, I'm in a really good mood now, you know. Um, it doesn't happen with every class, but nine times out of ten, it yeah, there's something definitely cathartic about it. Um, uh, lastly, then, I mean, uh, we sort of mentioned Twitter a few times and Chris Curtis's um um book. Um, I remember like when I started getting into this you know this kind of like uh, reading material and the podcast and stuff maybe four years ago five years ago it seemed like you know you go from one person to the next you might start with I think I started with Craig Barton ironically he was like a maths person and then you go to Dylan William or David Dardow and Chris Curtis whoever nowadays it seems like there's so much to um, to read or to check out and stuff which is only you know it's a good thing but it can be quite uh, overwhelming I guess if you were relatively new to the scene um so what would be your um go-to resources for anyone who's um looking to improve and isn't necessarily that au fait with what's out there at the moment um I'm a huge huge advocate of retrieval practice and it's an interesting mm. a lot of people they look at it as a strategy and they don't really think that English maybe lends itself to retrieval, but I think it massively does. Um, so Kate Jones, I think, is a brilliant person to speak to. I think, you know, engage with on Twitter, read her books. She's brilliant, really helpful. I think for me, as I've developed over the years, it's 
It's taking the fear away. And there's so many people out there now that write things that are practical. It's steeped in the research and then you can go away and you can do a lot more of the reading about it. But it's those practical kind of takeaway tips that I think are really helpful. So herbal con retrieval practice is really, really good for that because there's loads of different things. And last year in my old job, I ran a teaching and learning working group and we focused purely on retrieval practice, did some evidence-based research, did some, and I had people from different departments all over the school and we worked together and shared ideas and then took a model class and worked with them doing different retrieval strategies to see to see what worked. So, and it was great actually cross-curricular, but for English, it's brilliant for me because again, it's about, I'm big on routine, I'm big on, you know, this is you coming in and you're doing this and this is why we're doing it. Um, so yeah, I think any English teacher get yourself signed up for Lit Drive. Mm. Amazing. Run by teachers. It's five pounds a year and people upload so many resources. Even if you just take a bit of a lesson or you take a bit of a worksheet, I mean, the hours that it saves in terms of planning is incredible. Um, so that would be another piece of advice if you're an English teacher. Um, and also the Open University. So this course I've just started, I didn't realize just how much is out there in terms of um, things that they're doing. And I mean, I've only really looked at it in terms of reading because teaching reading for pleasure is probably my biggest passion. It's my biggest driver in any school I've ever worked in. And there's just an absolute mine of resources on there of projects that other people have done and mine will be joining them next year. But it's really cool that you can just go on there and you can just see, and again, the way that it's presented is very clear, really manageable, really easy to digest. So yeah, the Open University resources are amazing. It's lovely, very nice um, recommendations. Thank you very much. Um, all that remains for me to say then, Rebecca, is thanks a lot for giving up part of your weekend. You pointed out before we started recording that Friday's a day off in the UAE, which I wasn't aware of. So uh, thank you very much for giving up no uh, a bit of your uh, bit of your weekend on the morning. Thanks for having me on. It's been really good. It's quite difficult trying to balance time zones, isn't it? So it's a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, once again, thank you for uh, making that accommodation. So, thank you so much. Exactly it. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh, um, yeah, best of luck with uh, the key stage three stuff with your head of department role. Thank you.